0: Three Deaths, No Life, a novel by Alan Boyce, part seven. Yes, that's right, part seven. So if you're coming to Three Deaths, No Life for the first time, I strongly recommend that you go back to part one and listen to that, followed by parts two, three, four, five and six, before you spend the time listening to this, which is nevertheless going to be a very enjoyable podcast, but one which will make rather more sense if you've heard the 150 pages or so of the story that has preceded it. Uh, So part seven, uh, I'm going to jump straight back in, in media res, as the Romans would say. If you need a recap, I suggest you go and listen to the last 10 minutes or so of episode six so here we go. An hour later we had a plan of sorts. Keith would drive round to the Long Street and see what was going on there. I was to stay here at my house with the curtains closed and find out who this Nigel was. We knew he had something to do with the governing body at Long East School Everard Academy. That was plenty to get started with on the Internet. Keith took ages It was dark by the time he got back. Well, it looks like you were right, Sean. Police are everywhere, all over that estate, and there's an ambulance parked outside Long's. An ambulance? Did that mean he might still be alive? And the stupid bastard just stuffed the money into that tree, not even in a bag. Look at it. Keith withdrew a wad of soaked £10 notes from his coat pocket and threw them onto the kitchen table. So he'd been to get the money as well. Peel them apart and pop them on the radiator, Sean. Out of his rucksack, Keith pulled something that looked like a chunky walkie-talkie. He plonked that on the table as well. Been on the police scanner the whole time. They've got a dead body and they don't have a suspect. Forensics are on their way over. Keith turned a knob on the top of the scanner and muffled voices began to emerge from the static crackle. We huddled around it, listening intently like Londoners during the Blitz. So who is he? I told Keith what I'd found out. Nigel Darwin. He's the deputy chair of governors at Everard. Owns and runs an IT company. Married, one teenage daughter. Nothing to suggest he's a drug trafficker or a murderer. There never is. Every online trace I'd found portrayed Nigel Darwin as totally normal. Highly successful, alpha male, man of action type, but normal came from a poor background up north, self-made man and all too happy to tell anyone who'd listen about being working class from the comfort of his mansion or his Bentley. There were local news stories about the school featuring his picture, about his company expanding from ring road units into a tower block in the town centre, about him skydiving, running ultra-marathons and even doing an Iron Man, whatever that is, raising thousands of pounds for good causes. Everything screamed, here is a pillar of the community. Yeah, I thought, just like Peter Smithson, only far, far worse. Have you seen him before? Keith asked. Never. Papers say he lives out Chobham, Virginia Waterway. Okay, okay, so we have no reason to think we're going to stumble across him anywhere. But he's going to be looking for you, if what you say is true, Sean. Luckily, you don't leave much of a trace, even when you're not having an out-of-body experience. Shit, he might think that he hallucinated it all, what with you disappearing at the end there. He had a point. Nigel had been striding towards me, his gun extended in front of him, when I woke up at my house a few miles away. What had he seen happen next? The police scanner had only said one body, and this was definitely the one I'd been over there in. My ear throbbed as if to prove it. Had I left anything behind?' It's funny, but we never even discussed the most obvious solution to our immediate problem, getting out of town. It certainly occurred to me, but I thought of it only to dismiss it straight away. Where else could I go? This was my home, and always had been my home. Plus, we were a team, and Keith was the one who made the decisions. If he didn't think I needed to leave, I was happy with that. People like me, reasons are just there to justify what we want to do anyway. You need to lie low, for starters. That was pretty much how we were living beforehand. Who can connect me to you, Sean? Think. You need to stay in hiding, but I can still move around. Investigate. Keep watch. Do the shopping. I couldn't think of anyone who could link Keith and I. He'd been coming and going to my house for months, but I wasn't aware that any of the neighbours had acknowledged his presence. Or mine, for that matter. We were both beneath most people's notice. We need to get rid of everything connecting us to Trevor Long. We need to burn the books. What about evidence at his house? I asked. Sure, he never knew who we were. How could he have? Sure, he may have some notes, a couple of the emails, but so what? If he'd worked out who we are, don't you think we'd have known about it? And this Darwin, the last place on earth he'll go sniffing around is Long's house. He's on the run too, remember? Nevertheless, We decided it would be sensible for me to scout round the house again that night. It was important that I get back on the horse, so to speak, after my surprise materialisation. See what the police had taken. We needed me doing the thing more than ever if we were going to make it through this period unscathed, Keith said. Most importantly, we needed to track Nigel Darwin and see what he was doing about it. And that was best done from a plane of existence other than this material... Knife, fist and bullet, vulnerable one. The long house was sealed off with tape. Bulky police vans were parked on the driveway and pavement. Buttery sodium light drained all colours to different shades of grey. I approached the front door and reached out with my hand to the glass where earlier that day I'd caught my first glimpse of Nigel Darwin. It went straight through. I followed my hand into the house. The hallway had been tidied up. The coats, shoes and letters and wine bottles were all gone. The kitchen, too, had been cleared and cleaned. The note from Claire was gone from the fridge door. The laptop was missing from the now-righted Bilster, but its charger was still plugged into the wall, the cable draped across the tiled floor. Sheets hung over both doors to the living room. I went in and the scene was much as it had been when I'd left Nigel there for the first time to follow Longy into the kitchen. A few ornaments and books had been put in plastic bags and left on the Kivik sofa. Cases of what I assumed to be forensic equipment sat dormant in the room's corner, waiting for morning when the search for traces of what had happened would begin again. Had the police cleaned the house? Or was it Nigel? And who had the laptop now? I went to the back door and waved my hand through it, then brought it up to my ear. If that had been bleeding when I woke up, had I but there was no sign of blood on the door. No sign of blood anywhere. It would take me hours to get over to Virginia Water. And besides, I wasn't even sure exactly where Darwin lived. I would have to look in on the man I now assumed was hunting me another day. His business's offices were in Woking though. Evolution IT Solutions based in Prospect House. I left the crime scene and drifted towards the town centre's periphery where the tower blocks stood. Oh God. How the hell had this happened? All me and Keith wanted to do was make a little easy money, preying on other people's misdemeanours. Nothing really bad, was it? We hadn't even had a chance to spend any of it. Now we were wrapped up with a murderer who'd not only seen my face, but who also knew that there was something unusual going on. And we knew he was a man with resources. The houses on the estate bumped shoulders with one another, resolute in their inward gaze, each imagining itself a proud, isolated estancia, despite the cars overlapping the ends of one another's driveways, the hedges encroaching on one another's airspace. It reminded me of the London Underground in rush hour, bodies squeezed in together, minds focused on denying it. The residential overcrowding abruptly gave way to suburban industrial prairie, bridges and embankments, Bollards and traffic islands, resplendent in a rainbow of yellow grey concrete tones, patches of dead grass and bramble left to spawn between functional municipal ziggurats, all lit up by the sky glow, the reflection of southern England's nighttime activity bouncing back from the permanent layer of colourless, flaccid cloud. Taxis hurtled through me as I walked down the middle of the A324. What did I expect to find at Evolution? Over the central reservation, across the carriageway and through the crash barrier, a screen of Leylandi trees hid the A-road from the town and muffled its roar. I passed between them. I'd seen Prospect House before. It was a nondescript office building on the edge of Woking centre, seven or eight stories tall. Red brickwork, a forest of masts and aerials on the roof, a masterpiece of 90s banality just old enough to not look new anymore, the sort of building that left no impression on a passerby, Even the name signalled its interchangeability with any of its equally forgettable neighbours. The lights were on in the reception area, but off on the upper levels. I floated upwards and in through a first-storey window. I was in a large open-plan room with lines of desks separated by partitions. LEDs flashed under tables, and the silence was broken only by the never-ending hum of computers doing whatever it is that computers do at night. To my left, a glass wall enclosed a bank of racks housing more flashing lights and bundles of multicoloured cables. Here, and in an empty commercial premises across the world, the economy's mind was getting its shit in order, before the humans came back in the morning and started interfering again. There's an eerie, frozen quality to office buildings at night, Mugs of tea left half full, women's shoes tucked neatly under desks, scribbled cryptic notes hinting at a universe of absent context, and the machines, still hissing and humming, flashing signals to one another that don't make any sense even when the people are there. I shuddered and floated up to the next floor. More of the same. On the third story were meeting rooms and offices. The next two floors were empty and silent. The only light was the dull glow of the street lamps reflected in the windows of the buildings next door, amplified every so often by the searchlight sweep of passing cars with their full beams on. I sank back down to the third floor to take a closer look at the offices. The largest, on a corner facing the panorama of Woking's rooftops, soon revealed itself to belong to Nigel Darwin. On the walls were framed certificates of completion for various feats of sporting endurance, and photos of the grinning killer, mud spattered, one arm around a mate, the other holding aloft a tiny medal. On another wall were photos of Darwin suited, Darwin polo shirted and chinoed, shaking hands with mayors, hospital administrators, and the occasional ITV celebrity. This was him, all right. On the desk was another photo, this time of two smiling women one around my age, the other about 18. Both were stunning, transfixing. Looking at them, I almost didn't notice that the only other thing on the desk was a hacksaw. I stepped through the wall and hovered over the sleeping town. It was raining. The dripping heavens were dirty orange-brown above me and the A324 thundered below. It felt like a last moment of freedom and I didn't want it to end. Wake up! I was back at home. Keith was nudging me with a hardback book. It's a woman. Huh? I was groggy, coming round slowly. The body. It's a woman. It's not Trevor Long. It's his wife. I was wide awake now. Look. Keith held up the laptop to my face. A news story glared out at me. Woking woman found murdered at home. Police have named the victim as Claire Long, a nurse. Officers are keen to speak to her husband, Trevor Long, who's not been seen since the day of his wife's death. That's not possible, I said unnecessarily. She wasn't there when I left. There was a note saying she'd left him. You were round there, what, an hour and a half later, and the police were already there. But where is Long? He was dead, I swear, Keith. Half his brains came out. So where is he now? And where did his wife come from? She wasn't there, I replied. She wasn't there. Okay, okay. Darwin must have put her there, Keith said. He must have had her already, killed her, taken his body and left her there instead to throw the coppers off the scent. Or something like that. Is the only thing that makes sense. What we have to ask is, is this a good thing for us or a bad thing? I didn't understand. Sean, you have to try to keep up. It's quite important now. We had nothing to do with Claire Long's death, right? And nobody knows Trevor's dead. So for now, nobody is going to be looking for anyone who might have been blackmailing him. So that's a positive. Secondly, your disappearing act didn't knock Nigel Darwin off his stride. Even though there was a witness to the murder, a witness who appeared from out of nowhere and then vanished... He didn't panic. Whether he'd already killed Claire, or he did it between then and the police turning up, Darwin managed to clean the scene up, swap the bodies over or whatever, and get away. So we know we're dealing with one clever, calm bastard. But, and this is the bit that matters, Sean, you weren't his top priority. Either that, or he's used to seeing people disappear. Maybe he's a schizo. Maybe he knows he hallucinates. Maybe he doesn't believe I was really there. Schizophrenics don't get features written about them in Surrey Life, Sean. My bloody dear. When I ran into the back door. Keith, I... What? Keith had sat down on the floor and was intent on the laptop, googling for whatever he could find about the killing. Nothing. Nothing. Best not to think about it. I was sure there'd be a better time to mention that I'd left a big fucking bloodstain at the murder scene which wasn't there later that day. There wasn't. This works to our advantage, Sean. Our man Darwin has enough on his plate before he starts worrying about witnesses who are possibly figments of his imagination. Worst case scenario for him, you're real and go to the police. The moment he lost sight of you, what's his next best move? Find you before you squeal. But how? How? Where would he start to look? We don't leave our footprints all over the internet, and it's not like there have been many stories about you in local papers over the years. Looking at all this from his point of view, why would you not have gone to the police by now? You witnessed a murder. He doesn't know why you were there. The key is not to go to the police, Sean. I wasn't sure I followed. Wasn't the rational thing to go to the police? Keith sighed. Sean, if you want all this, Keith waved his arms around, indicating the contents of the room, all this to end, then yes, the rational thing is to go to the police. Go to the police and explain how you witnessed the murder and why you happened to be there. What happens if they don't believe you? What happens if they do believe you? Either way, we're out of business. Don't forget, we're criminals too. No. The thing to do is lay low and let this blow over. Every day that passes, you'll see more like a dream to him. Something he saw, but not someone who saw him. Seriously, Sean, we keep our heads down and everything will go back to normal. It was wishful thinking. Even I could see that. But I really wanted Keith to be right. I wanted pretending it had never happened to be the right thing to do. The path of least resistance was irresistible, even when it was clearly a slip road on the hell-bound carriageway of Destiny's Motorway. No stopping, no reversing, nowhere to turn round. Plus, we have no idea what went on between those two before now. If the police are going to figure it out, they'll figure it out without you. Why get mixed up in it? We just have to make sure he never finds us, and in a few weeks we can get back to business. We've lost one client, yeah, but he's led us to one bloody big new prospect. A man like that, with so much to hide? Keith was starting to see this as a future opportunity, rather than a present crisis. The key is to keep Darwin under constant surveillance. There's always a fucking key, isn't there? In Keith World, there was always one magical thing you have to do to make everything all right to turn the tables of misfortune around in one sudden move. Life's a lot more like a Rubik's Cube than a lock, though. Every time you think you're getting one part sorted, it turns out you're buggering up the other five sides you're not looking at. That's the key. Watch him and find out what moves he's making. Firstly, to see if he's looking for you, Sean. Secondly, to find out why he killed the Longs, because we probably ought to assume he did both of them. Thirdly, to feel him out as a prospect, probe his weak spots, wife and kids, reputation, all that. We have to assume, Sean, that the reason you um, uh, manifested yourself yesterday is the trauma of what you witnessed, right? You've not done it before or since. So there's no reason for you to change your travelling behaviour. Just don't watch anyone else getting murdered. We both laughed weakly busy day tomorrow. And that is where we're going to leave it for this week. Thanks for listening. This is Three Deaths No Life by me, Alan Boyce. Thanks a lot and goodbye.